For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The biotech company InBio recently made headlines by announcing that they are on the verge of creating hypoallergenic house cats. Can you imagine? How do they do this, you ask? By using CRISPR, gene editing technology. As you likely know, cat allergies are triggered by a protein in a cat's saliva. When the cat cleans itself, It spreads saliva, a fancy word for spit, containing that protein all over its fur. The saliva dries and flakes off, we breathe it in, and boom, sore throat and a stuffy nose. InBio demonstrated their ability to remove bits of DNA at the site of production of this specific protein called FELD1. The scientists snipped out the genetic code and the resulting DNA produced almost no FELD1. Now, I'm amazed by this technology and, you know, disappointed that its first application is for something as superficial as itchy eyes. If you're allergic to cats, don't have a cat. If we're already under the hood of cat DNA, so to speak, how about we bust out the bigger wrenches and make some more consequential changes? Could we switch around some A's, C's, G's, and T's, and all of a sudden, songbirds would be unappetizing? Maybe cardinals taste like cardboard and bluebells like battery acid. I told I told a pretty cat. Even better, invasive species like iguanas or house sparrows taste like tuna fish to your outdoor cat. Or, if we really want to hit the nail on the head, let's have them pass the ability to turn other cats into vegans through their genes. Huh? In bio. Hey, I'm sure you got some great funding. But let's set your sights a little higher, all right? I'll find you some more investors, I promise. Just be better. 
This week, we've got avian influenza, Chernobyl, Alaska, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, well, it's been pretty snort-focused. That little yellow dog does a really good job of pointing out where my training abilities have fallen short. I think like most of us, we've kind of gotten in the trap of not quite springing up with the spring. A little apathy, maybe. Well, new sheriff in town, little lady. Heel means heel. One blast on the whistle means sit. That bumper better come to hand and not drop until I say drop. And when I slap my chest, you better sprint over to me and jump into my arms because it makes me feel good and it's really freaking cute. We got big bird season plans ahead. Training starts now. As far as other updates go, the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative. We have over $100,000 in the bank right now. That is a big chunk of change, and we're going to do some good with it. So keep sending in submissions. We've received a few for boat ramps and landlocked parcels, some lonely places, some popular ones. Very exciting stuff, so keep those eyeballs peeled. And if you happen to have an old granny or granddad who happens to have obnoxious children that want to split up the farm or ranch, see it all developed for condos or something terrible, but you'd rather see something for the greater good happen with it, right in. And if we can't help, I'm more than happy to point you in the right direction. Now, in pure entertainment news, if you've been following along with the Meat Eater YouTube channel, you'll notice we're dropping the Cal in the Field series along with Clay Newcomb's new series every week. Tune in and let me know what you think. All right, moving on to the pandemic desk. And no, not that pandemic. There's plenty of others to go around. Researchers and government officials are keeping their collective eye on an outbreak of avian influenza, otherwise known as bird flu. Bird flu has affected poultry facilities, backyard flocks, and wild game populations in 22 states from Maine to Wyoming. The Centers for Disease Control is assuring the public that the threat to humans is extremely low. Humans can contract the virus, but cases are rare and properly cooked meat and eggs are safe to eat. However, the current outbreak, which the USDA says has affected more than 22 million birds, has chicken farms on the edge. In fact, you could say they're close to cracking. The bird flu outbreak in 2014 and 2015 killed more than 50 million domestic birds and led to approximately 3 billion in agricultural-related damages. Right now, it looks like the latest outbreak has spread across a larger geographic area than the epidemic last decade. Bird flu doesn't just affect livestock. Waterfowl, raptors, and wild turkeys can also carry the disease. In the last few months, the USDA has found bird flu and wild birds all over the country. Snow geese have tested positive in North Dakota, Colorado, Iowa, and New York. Ducks have tested positive in New York, Tennessee, and North Carolina. And if you can believe it, Canada geese have tested positive far outside of Canada in states such as Illinois, South Dakota, and Nebraska. In response, the USDA announced on February 11 that it plans to increase its surveillance efforts on all four migratory flyways. Wild birds often do not show symptoms of bird flu, but they can carry it to areas that are currently unaffected. To help reduce the spread, the USDA encourages hunters to wear gloves, wash hands, and dress game birds in the field. Scientists have also been worrying that wild animals will also spread another highly contagious disease, COVID-19. We've covered how white-tailed deer appear to be a reservoir for COVID, but researchers believe other wild animals could perform the same function. 
That's why biologists working on a Native American reservation in Minnesota are testing bears, moose, and wolves for COVID-19. According to the Associated Press, scientists are concerned that COVID could evolve in wild populations and jump back to humans in a much more contagious or deadly form. Much like the USDA is tracking bird flu to keep it in check, scientists are working to find and stop a COVID-19 outbreak before it makes the jump to humans. That work involves a certain amount of risk. Researchers have collected samples by sticking a swab up the nose of a hibernating black bear, and one biologist told the AP he was almost bitten trying to perform the same task on a wolf. Wait till you try a badger, buddy. And as you know, if you've ever had one of those COVID swabs shoved way up your nose, possibly into your brain, then you understand how the wolf feels. Moving on to the Ukraine desk. Russian troops rolled into the Chernobyl nuclear research facility on February 24, and after a brief scare about a fire in a nuclear reactor, the invading force seemed content to stay put and hold about 100 researchers hostage. Also held hostage, all the wildlife research being conducted at the site. Thanks to Cole Sosaby from the University of Georgia for bringing this story to our attention. For decades, scientists have conducted studies in the Chernobyl exclusion zone to investigate how the ecosystem has survived and evolved since the nuclear disaster in 1986. Those studies are used to inform forest management and environmental policies, as well as how animal populations respond to radiation. A University of Georgia scientist named James Beasley had a trip planned for March to investigate the ways wildlife responded to large-scale ecological disasters. As you can imagine, that trip's on hold. While you've probably seen stories about animals with extra appendages or large tumors, those serious mutations were largely only seen in the years directly after the disaster. One of the most interesting things scientists have discovered about Chernobyl is the extent to which animals have not been affected. Humans haven't been allowed to live in the exclusion zone since 1986, and the animals have moved in. Today, the zone is home to bison, boars, badgers, wolves, foxes, ravens, swans, and wild horses, among many other species. One scientist told National Geographic in 2016 that there's a higher density of wolves in Chernobyl than in Yellowstone. Did you hear that? A higher density of wolves in Chernobyl than in Yellowstone. For you highly vocal, poorly informed Yellowstone wolf folks, have I got a destination for you. Not all animals are thriving. Studies of bees, butterflies, grasshoppers, and other invertebrates have shown harmful effects of radiation on reproduction. It's also true that even larger animals may be suffering from certain genetic abnormalities. But overall, it's safe to say that there's more biodiversity in the Chernobyl exclusion zone now than when people lived there before the accident. Russian troops left Chernobyl at the end of March, but it's unclear how they've impacted the surrounding area or when scientists will be able to re-enter and scope out the extent of the damage. The war in Ukraine is also impacting wildlife research here at home. The Bureau of Land Management has partnered with the Utah Department of Natural Resources to conduct a really cool study on a threatened bird species called the pinyon jay. This little bird is part of the crow family, and it's currently being petitioned for listing under the Endangered Species Act. Pinyon jays are smart, social birds, and their calls sound like laughing in the woods. Jordan McMahon, one of the BLM researchers on the Pinion Jay project, told me that the bird population has declined about 85% in the last 100 years, 
which is the steepest decline of any woodland bird species. Listing under the ESA may be necessary, but it would have significant impact on industries across the western United States since the pinyon juniper habitat comprises a major portion of public land. To gather as much information as possible about the pinyon jay population, researchers have fitted seven of these birds with little GPS backpacks. For the first time ever, researchers will be able to track bird movement in real time to determine habitat use and requirements. Here's where Ukraine comes in. According to McMahon, the GPS data is routed through the International Space Station via a contract between Russia and Germany. That contract has been suspended due to the conflict, and it's unclear when it will be reinstated. For now, researchers have stopped fitting pinion jays with GPS tags because they aren't sure whether they'll be able to access the data. Basically, the only way these tags can work is, is through the current system that's set up, which is completely choked off at the moment. It is a sensitive species, so we don't want to cause any undue stress to those animals if we don't have to. The people of Ukraine have more important things to worry about than the pinion jay population in Utah. In the list of reasons to end the war, this is, you know, towards the bottom for some. Still, it's another reminder that what we do as humans can have far-reaching and unpredictable effects on wildlife and the wild places we explore. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick 
that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. And use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Next up, on March 30, the Federal Subsistence Board voted on a proposal to close hunting of moose and caribou by non-subsistence hunters in two areas, Management Units 23 and 26A in northwest Alaska, a total area the size of the state of Michigan. The top-line takeaway is not great. Despite a wide majority of public comments at the public hearing opposing the closures, Millions of acres will be closed to non-subsistence hunters without any clear relationship between that hunting and the health of moose and caribou populations. But the details of the final determination are more involved and tell a slightly more encouraging story. The original proposal was titled WSA 21-01, but the final decision split the ruling into two parts, WSA 21-01A for caribou, and dash 01B for moose. Dash 01A, the caribou side of things, closes the Noatak National Preserve, which is almost entirely in Unit 23, but also includes a small stretch of land along the Nagu River. Remember, A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. You can correct that uh, pronunciation. Anyway, it's in Unit 26A. Also close is BLM-managed land between the Noatak and Kobuk rivers, which is also entirely in Unit 23. The closure to non-federally qualified users will run from August 1st to September 30th for the 2022-23 through 23 and 23-24 through 24 seasons. 01B, covering the moose hunt, closes all of Unit 23 for the same period of time for the same two upcoming seasons. Moose hunting will still be allowed by non-federally qualified users in Unit 26A. So that's the bad news. The good news is, even though the restrictions did pass, they are much less sweeping than what we had originally been proposed. Much less land, almost none of Unit 26A, and a much shorter period during the season. Our calls, emails, and testimony didn't get us the whole loaf, but they got us like a partial loaf or rather whatever part of a loaf sits outside the Noatak and Kobuk rivers during August and September. Two years from now, the same decision is going to come up again. We're again going to testify according to science and good management, and maybe we get, you know, some more of that loaf. And, speaking of science, as we covered back in episode 141, the real threat to caribou and moose in this area isn't the negligible impact of non-subsistence hunters, but rather the dramatic delay in the onset of winter weather. Over two months over the last 10 years, according to the U.S. Parks Service, winter has been delayed. So, instead of a lot of hand-waving about this or that hunt, how about the subsistence board does some work figuring out how to help the herds contend with that issue? Send your thoughts on the matter to the Federal Subsistence Board Policy Coordinator, Robin Levine, at 907-786-3353, or Robin, 2Bs, underscore Levine, at fws.gov. Last episode, we singled out the town of Cape Coral, Florida, for a little ribbing about the ordinance pass there recently outlawing fishing under bridges. So on this episode, we thought we'd give you something positive the state of Florida has done. 
the acquisition of seven parcels of land covering over 17,000 acres to become part of the Florida Wildlife Corridor, a series of linked easements and protected lands that allow for wildlife migration across the state. The total, $32 million for this recent purchase, was put up by a combination of several state, federal, and nonprofit entities, including the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, the U.S. Forest Service's Forest Legacy Program, the USDA, and the United States Air Force Readiness and Environmental Protection Initiative, as well as private foundations. The larger Florida Wildlife Corridor is a network of over 17.7 million acres of land, 9.6 million of which is already conserved. The remaining 8.1 million acres has been identified as key opportunity for future conservation, and these latest seven parcels add to that protected habitat. Similar patchworks are being identified and conserved piece by piece elsewhere in the country. For instance, the Staying Connected Initiative, or SCI, which is creating a migration corridor across the northern Appalachians and Acadian area of New York, New England, and Canada. One highlight of these recent Florida acquisitions is the Wolf Creek Forest in Santa Rosa County, almost all the way west in the Florida Panhandle. This 7,868-acre tract will span a current gap in the largest contiguous longleaf pine landscape in the world, home to 900 species found nowhere else on Earth, including 30 federally threatened and endangered species, such as the eastern indigo snake, the red cockaded woodpecker, and the panhandle lily, and the primrose flowered butterwort. The Wolf Creek Forest Parcel will be managed as part of the Blackwater River State Forest, where you can fish for largemouth bass, spotted bass, bluegill, sunshine bass, striped bass, black crappie, and channel catfish. Whew, that's a lot of species and a lot of fun. Let's hope that at least partially makes up for the loss of underbridge fishing opportunity elsewhere in the state. Moving on to the legislation roundup, and we're just going to focus on two bills, so breathe easy. First up in New York, a lead ammo ban on state land, as well as any land contributing to surface water in New York City, passed the Assembly, and the companion bill, S5058, seems close to passing the Senate. As we've covered in the past, we support limiting lead on the landscape, especially with waterfowl and in areas where raptors ingest lead from gut piles. But imposing a ban in this area where the effects are less well-established puts an undue burden on hunters, especially those with lower incomes, especially during the current ammo shortage. For many, this would be a de facto hunting ban or an irresistible invitation to break the law. New Yorkers, call your senator to oppose S5058, and while you're at it, call the Department of Environmental Conservation and register your opposition there as well. The bill may already be headed to Governor Hutchell's desk by the time you hear this, and, you know, she's likely not to pick up the phone and get advice on whether to sign it from the DEC, so let's make sure they know how you feel about it. And finally, just call the governor herself. She's been willing to veto bad bills before. Next up is Delaware, where SB 4308 seems likely to come to a floor vote soon, known as the Comprehensive Conservation Finance Act. This bill would allow private investors to pay for conservation projects and be compensated by greenhouse gas markets, carbon credits, or soil carbon programs. These investors could also enter into pay-for-success state contracts that would turn a profit when projects they financed reach certified environmental outcomes. You might ask, 
Why should I support a bill that could let people get rich off of conservation? The climate researcher and engineer Saul Griffiths explains through an analogy to cars and houses. Americans were able to afford these major purchases for the first time because of the invention of the auto loan and the mortgage. Programs like this one in Maryland are sort of like a mortgage to pay for big climate change solutions. Right now, a state like Maryland puts out an RFP to, let's say, restore a certain patch of wetlands to protect habitat and suck carbon. Different providers bid. One is selected after a long assessment process. The money goes out the door, and maybe the project works, maybe it doesn't. But what if private money could be applied to the problem right away? Even combine lots of different projects and funding sources, and then the state would pay only if the project worked and at significant savings. We're going to need all the speed and resources we can get to pay for big climate solutions fast. Maryland is also ground zero for the effects of climate change, so the state is especially motivated to find new strategies to combat it. For a fantastic deep dive into the effects of rising sea levels on the Delmarva Peninsula, a key piece of habitat in the Chesapeake Bay region, as well as efforts to save it, including this piece of legislation, go check out the article Rise of Ghosts, The Fight to Save the East Coastal Forest by John Barone on the Meat Eater website. And while you're at it, Marylanders, call your senators in support of SB 4308. One last reminder. The comment period ends April 15 for Amendment 7 to the Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission Striped Bass Management Plan. So this week will be your last chance to weigh in Write to comments at asmfc.org, urging the commission to recover and maintain the Atlantic striped bass stock. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers also has a feedback form ready to go on its Take Action page. So you know, go take some action. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. And if you've noticed that your woods are starting to look pretty poor, you should probably go pick up a brand new steel chainsaw. Start by heading to www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll be happy to see you. They'll set you up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks, sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I. Venison.com. 
and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.